listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Welcome to the Living Room. Great to see all of you here tonight. Uh, if we've never gotten the opportunity to meet, which looking around the room, I don't think I've met any of you before in my life. I have. I'm sorry uh, to forget that. But uh, my name is Matt, and I get to lead the Living Room down at Buckhead Church. And I think it's been like a year or two since I've gotten to come hang with y'all at Brownsbridge. So I'm super excited to be here tonight. And a few weeks ago, they asked me to come and speak. And I was like, great, like what series is going to be in? They're like, oh, Riz, Roses, and Red Flags. I was like, oh, awesome. We just did that at Buckhead. And I was like, so like what week is it? Is it like relationships? Is it singleness? You know, like what are we talking about? And they're like, no, the topic we want you to talk about is, is sex. And I'm like, oh, cool. They don't know me. I don't know them. I'm a stranger. This will be a fun conversation. Um, so yeah, we're just going to go for it tonight. We're going to dive in. The good news is if I say some things you don't like, uh, you may not see me again for like two more years, so it's no big deal. Um, you'll have to drive to Buckhead to have a conversation with me about it. But um, let me just be clear from the top tonight, because I know that just with a topic like this, there's somebody in the room that's like, yo, really, bro, why didn't you tell me? Like, why did you tell me to come tonight? You know, like there's some of you who are already tense, um, who are already like, oh, no, like, where's this going? Or I know where this is going. Or you're just like, whatever, I'm just here. Um, let me just be clear about what my aim is and what my aim is not. For this conversation. So first off, my aim is not to just tell you what to do. Like that's not my aim. My aim is not to put shame on you tonight. My aim is not to just act as if I'm the expert. So just listen to what, everything I'm about to say and do what I tell you to do. No, that's not at all my aim tonight. Tonight, my goal or my aim is to propose to you some thoughts to consider about sex and more specifically the sexual ethic, which if you're like, what is the sexual ethic? Well, it's like the belief or the lifestyle that you're living by in this area of your life. So my aim tonight is to propose to you some things to consider as it pertains to sex and the sexual ethic that you uphold. And most likely, I'll just be honest, like I'll just level with you. Most likely, <coughs> tonight, I'm going to say some things that might challenge you. I'm going to say some things that maybe you've never considered before or you haven't considered in this way. I'm probably going to say some things at some point that you're not sure you agree with or maybe you're like, I'm pretty positive I disagree with him, and that's okay. Ultimately, my aim is to propose to you a sexual ethic that I firmly believe can bring about more freedom and joy in your life and less pain, shame, and regret. And here's what I'm convinced of. Whether you're a Christ follower in the room tonight or not, regardless of what you currently uphold, the sexual ethic that you're currently upholding, currently living by, I believe that all of us could say, man, our world needs more of that. Like we, we need more freedom, we need more joy, we need less pain, shame, and regret. So if that's kind of the parameters, my encouragement to you is maybe just lean in and see where this conversation goes. For many of you, I think this is a good place to start, is that the primary narrative that maybe you've heard when it comes to sex is, is something like this, especially if you grew up in a Christian household, it's something like this, don't, like just don't do it. And maybe, y'all know about dare, yeah, anybody? They don't do dare in schools anymore. Okay, like, you know, D, I won't do drugs. A, won't have it. No, none of y'all know that song. Wow. Oh, my gosh, your elementary school experience suffered. Um, but no, they came in. Dare was like a program where they came in, and they're like, yo, say no to drugs. Say no to alcohol, you know. And for some of you, that's kind of how, like, the sex conversation has felt. It's like, just say no. Just say no. Like, whatever you do, don't, don't, no, no. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Just don't, which is not terrible advice. I understand, like, 
that why people would give you that advice, but I think don't actually has the potential to, to be dangerous advice, because here's why. If the primary narrative that you've heard throughout the majority of your life is that when it comes to sex, just don't, just stay away from it, then you could start to believe that sex is a bad thing. When the reality is that sex is not a bad thing, sex was God's idea. Like God invented sex. In fact, I'll prove it to you. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, look at this. God blessed them. This is, he's speaking to Adam and Eve, all right, in, in the Garden of Eden. And he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So you need to know, this was not like an agricultural statement, okay? This is God saying, hey, Adam, Eve, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to go and procreate. I want you to have babies. I want you to have sex. Like God designed this. This was his design from the very beginning. This was his idea. And so I believe why it's important for us to have this conversation tonight is because we cannot allow the world to define what God has designed. Like we can't allow the world to define what God has designed. In our world, what's happened is our world has taken something that God created and distorted it just a little bit. Because sex has, has been used in ways that it was never intended to be used. And you wanna know why I believe that this conversation is so important to talk about tonight. It's because the world already is. Like tonight, I'm not bringing up a new conversation. I'm just speaking into an existing dialogue. Like we're constantly hearing about this conversation. And in fact, I'll say this, is that we live in a hyper-sexualized culture that is distorting our view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite. Whether you realize it or not, this is the reality. We're living in a hyper-sexualized culture, a culture that promotes the idea that our sexual desires should be met immediately. That if you have a sexual desire, it should be met immediately, like whenever you need it, on demand, right? Much like the way everything else in our world is now designed. To where it's just, okay, you've got a desire, you've got a need, it can be met immediately. You shouldn't have to wait, you shouldn't have to be patient, like none of that. And we have developed a consumer mentality when it comes to our sexual desires. Again, I think if we intended to or not, which I don't think any of us were like, oh, this is my intention. But we've developed a consumer mentality when it comes to our sexual desires, to our sexual appetites. In fact, I want to read just a few statistics to you that I looked up. Um, they're right here. I'll read them off this. And uh, the first stat I want to read to you is, is, is this. It says, porn sites receive more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. So each year, porn sites will receive more hits, more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of people will view porn by the age of 14, so before they even begin high school. 33% of women under the age of 25 view porn at least once a month. So I wanted to share that statistic because this is not just a male issue. And approximately, last one I'll share, approximately 50% of marriages currently in the United States will end in divorce at some point. So as I read those statistics, some of you, you might be surprised by some of that. Some of you are like, I'm not surprised. But clearly there, there's a problem, right? Like those statistics aren't good. And, and you know, one of the things that I think is, is mainly behind those statistics is this thing called lust. And lust is a powerful feeling of desiring something. 
Lust takes our God-given sexual desires and it adds selfishness into the equation. Lust is self-centered and it always over-promises and under-delivers. Lust will leave you feeling never fully and finally satisfied, always wanting more and now, more and now. So maybe the narrative that, that, that you've heard when it comes to sex isn't just don't, like, stay away from it, but maybe it was a little bit more than that. Maybe it was something like this. It was like, hey, just don't have sex until marriage. Like, not just don't, but, but don't have sex until marriage. Translation, sex before marriage is sinful. Sex after marriage is holy. But the reality is, come on, let's, let's just talk real tonight. Like, I'm, I'm a guest, you know, I'm just stepping in, but let's, let's be honest tonight. Um, less and less people are actually living by this sexual ethic, even Christians, even people in the church. In fact, many people who do hold this sexual ethic of waiting to have sex until marriage, um, they violated their own ethic. Side note, when that happens, we expect grace and justification. Like when we violate, violate our sexual ethics, we're like, oh, well, I just need some grace. Yeah, I made a mistake, but here's what happened, and here was the context. I just need some grace, and I need another chance. But when other people violate that sex, a sexual ethic, typically what we like to do is extend shame and condemnation. Like, well, you know the consequences. That was on you. you messed, yeah, you messed up. And so tonight, I, I want to talk about this because I think for many of you, if this is like the narrative or if you heard a narrative similar to this, I think the reality could be that you were possibly never really given convincing nor compelling reasons as to why waiting until marriage actually matters. Like maybe you've heard things like this before, that if you wait until marriage to have sex, that it will guarantee you your marriage will thrive. Or if you wait until marriage to have sex, it will guarantee you the best sex life imaginable. Or if you wait until marriage, uh, then you won't be comparing your spouse to others. Or if you wait until marriage, man, virginity is the greatest gift you could ever give to your spouse. Like maybe you've heard things like that. When the reality is all of those things could be true, but they also can break down pretty fast, right? Like they could be true, but I know people who have waited until marriage to have sex and now they're divorced. I know people who have waited till marriage to have sex and, and their marriage is, is not thriving. Or they would say their sex lives, is, it's not great. So what does waiting to have sex until marriage guarantee you? Like what does it guarantee? This should be the question you're asking right now. So like, okay, man, I'm with you. So what does waiting to have sex until you're married guarantee you? Lean in, lean in. I, I need to tell you what it guarantees you. Here's what I think, and I thought about this a lot. Here's what I think waiting to have sex guarantees you until marriage. Waiting to have sex until marriage guarantees you. It guarantees you that you will be a virgin until you're married. That's about it. That's what waiting to have sex until marriage guarantees you. It guarantees you that once you're married, you will still be a virgin when you're married. Here's what I want you to know is that we don't wait to have sex until marriage because it guarantees us something in return. This was not the primary reason that God designed sex within the context of marriage. In fact, if that's the reason why you're waiting because you feel like it guarantees you something in return, that could be a version of the prosperity gospel. 
To which if you're like, what's the prosperity gospel? It's when you do things and you follow Jesus and you're obedient to Jesus because you feel like it will guarantee you things in return. Right? Like maybe you've heard this, maybe you've seen the preachers on TV before who are like, yo, sow a seed in my ministry and in seven to 10 business days, check your mailbox and you're going to see a huge blessing in there in, in the form of a $5,000 check. You know, like that's, that's like kind of an extreme form of the prosperity gospel. Well, I think if you were waiting to have sex until marriage because you feel like it guarantees you something, that could be a form of the prosperity gospel. That's not actually the right motive. The other idea we need to address, and stick with me, is this, is that for some of us, we've been taught and believed that marriage alone automatically makes sex holy. That marriage alone will automatically make sex holy, when it, and the reality is it does not. Let me just ask you a few questions, and I don't want you to respond out loud. Is it possible when you're married to still use sex to manipulate the other person to get what you want? Is it possible when you're married to still use sex as a weapon? Is it possible when you're married to still have selfish sex? Is it possible when you're married for sex to be abusive or non-consensual? I think the answer to all those things is, is yes, it's possible. In fact, just for a moment, let me, let me just pause here and talk on consent. Because this is a really, 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 really important thing. Even if you're, if you're not planning on upholding this sexual ethic, it's even more important. Especially in this season of your life. Consent, this is the way I'm defining consent. It's a willful agreement to engage in sexual acts, always consisting of an independent and clear yes between two people. So hear me on this. This is something that should never be ignored or dismissed. If there is no clear and understood yes, then the answer is always no, period. Like end of discussion. So back to where we were. Um, is it possible to have sex outside of marriage that is kind? Again, you don't have to answer out loud with me. Just track with me. Is it possible outside of marriage to have sex that's consensual? To have sex that's, that's selfish? or selfless rather, is it possible? Is it possible outside of marriage to have sex that's others focused? I would say the answer to all those things is yes, it's possible. Now hear me, I'm not saying that sinful married sex justifies unmarried sex. What I am saying is that marriage alone doesn't automatically make sex holy, righteous, or God honoring. So the question is, is then what does? Like why is marriage important? Because hear me on this, I believe that marriage is important. I believe that waiting to have sex until marriage is the, the most God-honoring sexual ethic. In fact, Jesus gave us a framework for which we should live our lives and develop all of our ethics through, including our sexual ethic. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 30. He says this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he says, the second is this, like his disciples were trying to get him to like sum it all up. And he's like, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus is like, hey, here's what's more, most important. Love God and love others, love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and love others. So how does waiting to have sex until marriage elevate the value of another person? How does not waiting to have sex until marriage potentially devalue the other person? Well, here's what you need to know is that in a relationship, sex changes things. And I think you know this. In a relationship, sex changes things. And here's why. Because sex is holistic. It's three-dimensional, right? Like it involves your mind, your body, and your soul. You, you need to know this tonight. Sex is not just physical. And I'm going to push on you because I know some of you are like, hold up, hold up. I'm not sure how I agree with this. But let me just prove this to you. Sex is not just physical. If sex were just a physical act, just something that you do, then why is it that there's this thing known as the walk of shame? You've heard of this before, right? Like, if sex were just physical, just something that you do, just a normal part of life, then why isn't it known as the walk of shame when you wake up in the morning and like go walk to, to like the dining hall? Why isn't that known as the walk of shame? It's like, oh, it's just something you do. I mean, sex is just like that, right? Like it's just a normal part of life, just a normal thing. If sex were just physical, then why is it that some of you, even if you're not gonna wait to have sex until you're married, you would probably at least say, I do wanna wait to have sex until I'm with like that special someone, you know, until the relationship's kind of at that point. Why? If it's just physical, then why, why does that even matter? If sex is just physical, and this is tough, but why is it that sex, for many of you, is linked to your greatest regret in life? There's no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual the people might be about it, because sex involves all aspects of a person's humanity, and that means that you have to take all aspects of the person's humanity into account before you choose to sleep with that person. Sex says, I'm never going to commit to one part of you without committing to all of you. And this is why sex is designed within the context of marriage, because marriage is the public declaration of your commitment to another person's full humanity. And it's only in marriage that you've already made the commitment that sex is designed to reflect. So waiting is about communicating that you value the full worth of another person. Hear me on this. God's design for sex, it's not repressive. It's actually freeing. This is the sexual ethic that most honors God and other people. And our sexual ethic, y'all, it greatly impacts our lives. It's why the Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee could be a word, we could translate that into run, like run away from sexual immorality. Why? Why would Paul use this strong language? Why would he say this so clearly of like, hey, stay away from sexual sin, run from sexual immorality? Well, it's because sexual sin never travels alone. It always comes with a plus one. Like anytime you mess up sexually, you know what it comes with? It comes with things like lies on the back end that you've got to cover it up. Deceit, worry, doubt, fear, shame, regret. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul goes on, he says this, he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul's saying, hey, when it comes to sexual sin, the potential for hurt and pain in your life is off the charts. That sexual sin hurts you and the other person. 
And Paul goes on to say why it hurts and feels the way that it does. He says this, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's more than just a a physical act or something that you do. To which some of you, as as we begin to kind of round the corner here, some of you are like, but yeah, Matt, but listen, bro, it's, it's 2023. Like you realize that waiting to have sex until your marriage is too difficult, right? Like some of you, are, that's the question you'd love to ask me right now. It's, it's too hard. You understand this, right? Let me just propose something to you just for thought. Why is it that you might consider sharing your body before marriage with another person, but not your bank account? To which some of you are like, oh, I, I pay for, for, for dates and meals. Okay, but that's just part of it. That's just part of your bank account. Why don't you just share your whole bank account? Why don't you give them your debit card? Give them your checkbook. Give them your cash. You know why? Because you value your bank account. And so until like this thing's for real, until you're married, you're probably not gonna really think about sharing your whole bank account with that person. Let me just say this, isn't a person far more valuable than a possession? Isn't a person far more valuable than any asset? So with that in mind, like maybe it's worth saying, hey, if you place this much value on your bank account, shouldn't you place way more value on another person and take this into account and think about that? If there's one thing I want you to take away from tonight, a bottom line from tonight, if you will, I think it's this. We don't wait for marriage because it guarantees us something, but because it elevates someone. This is ultimately why this sexual ethic was initiated by God. Not because it guarantees us something in return, but because it elevates someone. This is the sexual ethic that most honors God and other people. And it's why it's worth considering and I just want to say this, I, I'll admit it, I, I watched The Bachelor. I don't know if any of you do, I, I feel shame. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not a great show, like we shouldn't be cheering, but it is inter- entertaining. Like, spoiler alert, Katie's the winner, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I was rooting for her too, it's great. But here's the thing, The Bachelor is a pretty good like gauge into our culture, And every season on The Bachelor, there's this moment. There's usually a person. I don't know if there was this season. It was actually kind of The Bachelor himself. But there's this moment usually where it's like, okay, you're in like the final four, but have you told him yet? Have you told her yet? And it's like, what have you told him what? That you're a virgin. It could change everything when you tell them you haven't had sex. Almost as if like this sexual ethic is something to feel shame about. Can I just encourage you? If you have upheld this sexual ethic, of waiting to have sex until you're married up to this point in your life. Hey, you don't need to feel shame about that. Like, that's a good thing. On the flip side of that, if you violated this sexual ethic and you've had sex, or if you're like, hey, I don't even have plans to live by a different sexual ethic, it's too late, Matt. Like, maybe that's what you're thinking right now. Let me just say this to you. Here's the question I want to ask you with. What's the story that you want to tell? Because you're right. You can't go back and rewrite your past. Like the things that you've done in your past, you cannot go back and change that. As much as maybe you wish you could, you can't. 
but you can author a new chapter moving forward. You get to decide what the next page in your story will say. So what story do you want to tell moving forward in your life, in this area of your life? Three things I want to leave you with, then we'll wrap up. First thing's this. You can't effectively fight sin in the dark. So for some of you, we just touched on it tonight, pornography. But if there's some sexual sin or any other sin, for that matter, going on in your life, you can't effectively fight it in the dark. You have to bring it to the light. You have to let some other people in. Hear me, everyone doesn't have to know everything, but somebody does. So who's that person for you? Who are those couple people for you that you can tell what you're struggling with too? That you can say, hey, this is something that I've been trying to break. It's something that I've been trying to quit doing. I've been trying to quit looking at these things, but I'm struggling. I'm not even struggling. I'm just in bondage to it. Bring it to the light. There is so much freedom and power in doing so. Second thing is this. <coughs> Invite God into your situation and embrace the struggle. Invite God in like he already knows. And can I just tell you this? As much as you think that God is ready to condemn you, as much as you might think that God, as soon as you tell him what's really going on in your life, that he's ready to like throw shame on you, he's not. He's not. It's like this, like when my, I've got two little girls, a four-year-old and a soon-to-be two-year-old, when, when they mess up as their dad, as an imperfect dad, I'm not like, are you kidding me? You messed up, what? That better never happen again. No, no, no. I'm like, hey, it's all right, we can, we can move forward. Let's talk about it. Hey, I know it hurt. I know this has caused you pain. I know there's consequences, but I love you, I'm for you. If that's my response as an imperfect dad, Imagine what your perfectly heavenly father, what his response would be to you when you tell him, hey, I've messed up. Hey, I'm not perfect. Invite God in and then, hey, embrace the struggle. Like we view struggling as if it's something terrible. How many of you know that struggling actually means that you're on the, on the pathway of making progress? Like there is no progress without a struggle. I hate going to the gym. Why? Because it's a struggle. I know that if I actually go to the gym and I actually want to make progress and I actually want to get in better shape, that I have to embrace the struggle. I have to realize it's not going to be easy. But the struggle is a great reminder that you're making progress. So invite God into your situation and embrace the struggle. The third and final thing I want to leave you with is this, and this is huge. Receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. So look, I understand, I realize that there's probably a percentage of people, if not the majority of people in the room, that like you've had, you've had sex before, like you, you violated this sexual ethic, maybe over and over and over again, and maybe you feel guilt, maybe you feel shame. Can I just tell you, there's grace that restores and redeems. All week long, my prayer has been, Lord, Please help every single person in this room not feeling shame, leave not feeling shame or condemned, but on the flip side to leave feeling, with, feeling full of freedom and hope. I just want you to know your heavenly father is proud of you. Like he's not disappointed in you. He's not like ashamed to be seen with you. No, your heavenly father is proud of you. He loves you. He wants to be seen with you. He's for you. 
You haven't disqualified yourself from his love. You never could. None of us could earn it. His love is unconditional. That means it, it can never change no matter what you've done. And so embrace his love. Embrace the grace of God. God loves to rewrite stories. He loves to restore broken things. He loves to redeem and give you hope for your future. So what would it look like tonight for you to respond and to maybe say, man, there's some things that I need to confess. Like maybe on the drive home tonight, there's some, someone you need to call, somebody you need to text. Maybe there's a small group leader you need to pull aside after group and say, hey, I just got to tell you some things that are going on. Maybe you need to confess something, bring it to the light. Maybe for some of you, you, you actually need to surrender and you actually need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to embrace a relationship with him, embrace a relationship with the one who restores and redeems.